just have so much joy today, especially singing that song. Just came back from Iowa where we had a celebration of my mother's life, 99 and a half years. And um, I've had nothing but joy knowing that she's face to face with our Savior. So that's, this earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. I'm going to be reading Philippians chapter 1, 1 through 11. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes. Philippians chapter 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Susan. I really am uh, appreciative of your reading today. Yes, I vividly remember that day. Uh, I don't remember the first time you came, probably because I think it was New Year's, Christmas Eve, right? And I didn't probably greet you. But then the following Sunday, I saw her and Jimmy and Granny. That's what everybody called her. I think her name is Maxine, but uh, uh, Granny, and met and talked to them and uh, got a chance to get to know them a little bit and discovered that they were in church the previous week or two before that because they wanted to bring Granny to church who came to visit uh, and she thought, let's just go locally, and they were talking to uh, someone, uh, the daughter of someone who attends our church who, um, who worked at the restaurant, and they said, there's a church that meets at the Buffalo Chip, and so they decided to come, and uh, then not long after that, uh, and I don't think you hardly missed a Sunday since, so yeah, um, uh, and uh, not long after that, we sat down and had lunch together, and I got to know Granny, uh, uh, who was at that time about 93 or 94, or something to that effect. Uh, and in great health, and I remember talking to her, and we remember this, I know, I, I found out what kind of a prayer person she was, and I said to her, Granny, you know, my grandmother prayed for me every day of her life, and she passed away at 98 years old. I wonder, would you, would you be praying, would you pray for me too? She said, yes, I will, and uh, I had always uh, been so grateful for that, that prayer. So now I need another old lady to pray for me, right? I'm not joking. I'm, uh, I'm on the lookout, so. Uh, all right, good. Hey, Sheila, you're not quite old enough yet, but you're good. 84. And Sheila does 
I know she does. I know she does. Uh, uh, I'm going to get in trouble for making that remark, aren't I? Sheila, she, Sheila prays for me and for Donna every day. She does. I know. So, you know, I appreciate that so much. And I think that um, uh, sometimes when you're active and young in your life, you sort of think, oh, i got all these I need to do. I don't have time to pray. And you forget that prayer is often the first work that we have. It's prayer when we really uh, open our hearts to the unseen realities that literally are controlling this world. They literally are controlling this world. And it's that opportunity. And in this book that we're looking at, the Apostle Paul begins by talking about prayer and praying for this church family. We're beginning a series of messages on this little book of Philippians, which is long a favorite book for a lot of people, and I would say that, I don't know that it is my favorite book today, but I do know that in the early days of my Christian life as a young teenager, and so it was my favorite book. In fact, I found something here, uh, I, 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 th- I thought of it last week, and I went and found in my closet, how many of you keep way too much stuff? Yeah, me too. And, uh, and so I found this little book, which was in my mind, and I looked into it, and among other things, I see a, 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 write, a, a heading written by myself on Monday, October 18th, 1976, 42 years ago. I was 16 years old. Monday, October 18th, Philippians 1, 1 through 6. It was really brought home to me. My eyes saw a lot better when I was 16 than they do now. I'm trying to read my own writing from a long time ago. It was really brought home to me in this passage that I should have the people... Oh, yeah. I don't know what that's about, but we'll save that too. Um, It was really brought home to me in this passage that I should have the people I deal with in my heart as much as Paul did. Always remember them in prayer. Verse 3. Also, I should be confident, praying with joy, verse 4, knowing that God will continue to work in their lives, verse 6. That's my first journal entry of something I've been doing for 42 years. And it came from Philippians chapter 1, this passage of Scripture. So to say that I have loved this book is not a lie. It's a great little book. And I remember that time period. I used to go to school at 7 o'clock in the morning because we had band for two hours in the morning. And so I thought, if I'm going to start to get up, I better have the Lord wake me up to have my personal devotion time. And so anytime I would wake up in time, instead of going back to sleep, I'd think, i got to read my Bible. And I had taken the book of Philippians, and I have here, you know, up until May of the following year, not daily entries, don't get the wrong impression, but many entries as I just worked my way through the book of Philippians as a young teenager, 16 years old, asking God to speak to me from it. And in this particular text, it seemed to me that I saw something that I still continue to see when I see in this text, that the people in our lives ought to be deep into our hearts just like they were in Paul's hearts. Sometimes we can not let people into our hearts as much as they should because it's painful when people come into our hearts, is it not? It means inviting pain. And so often we put out at a distance somewhat. But the Apostle Paul knew that it was important to keep people in his heart. 
and in his prayers in the third verse, and to be confident as you pray for them, praying with joy, he, I wrote, knowing that God will continue to work this in their lives. I am, can apply this to myself, I wrote as I closed that little thing. I can apply this to myself and have confidence that God is working in my life, even though sometimes I seem to go in circles. Well, that's a little bit of my own history with regard to that book. Others of you could tell stories about this. And so for the last couple of years, we took a two-year trek through the whole Bible. We started in Genesis, uh, Easter two years ago. We worked all the way through it. And in doing that, that meant that I always had to fly over a lot of good stuff. Because you're going to preach through the whole Bible, even if you take two years to do it, you got to skip a lot of good stuff, don't you? And so one of the things I'm going to do, and I'm just going to warn you, is I'm in no hurry to get through this book. No hurry. I just want to enjoy the, the, the journey a little bit, just in, enjoy going through this little book. And so we're going to start out in this opening section and take a look at this little book that Paul wrote to a church that he had started a few years ago, before, in the town of Philippi. Now, if you had visited Philippi as a tourist in the middle of the first century, you would likely have been impressed by its architecture and by its history. It was like a little Rome planted there in the middle of Greece. Let's suppose that you were taking a, a tour through Philippi there, and you had a guide show you around. He would probably tell you this, that 400 years early, again, you're about 50 AD right now, so about 400 years before that, Philip of Macedon had conquered the city of Crenides, and he had renamed it after himself, himself. And you would say to them, well, I don't know who Philip of Macedon was, and the guide might say to you, well, perhaps you might know him by the name of his son. His son's name was Alexander, and he became Alexander the Great. This was the town that Philip had named for himself, and Alexander was his son. You'd be kind of impressed about the history of the founding of Philippi, named after the father of Alexander the Great. Perhaps your guide would have told you, would have told you as well, as he showed you some of the great sights around from the Battle of Philippi, a battle which had happened about 100 years before that. Philippi was the, 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 uh, uh, the, the place of an historic, uh, critical battle that occurred, uh, which, which happened after the assassination of Caesar, when Octavian and Anthony defeated Brutus and Cassius in that great Roman civil war, which ultimately consolidated Octavius's power, so it became Caesar Augustus, and the Roman Empire was born. That battle, that decisive battle between those four characters, a battle about which Caesar, uh, uh, Shakespeare wrote his a famous play, Julius Caesar, that battle happened there in that town of Philippi. And perhaps there were remnants of that there, uh, uh, that were in that town there that way. And it was this great battle which led to the establishment of the Roman Empire as it was. After this, this town of Philippi was given the great honor in 42 BC of being named a Roman colony. That meant that you had the rights of Roman citizenship there in that town. It was a city with a glorious history. It had magnificent architecture, a beautiful forum, a massive amphitheater. And no doubt, uh, you would have been impressed by its history, by its grandeur, by its pride as a community. And you would have thought, "This really, I'm really glad I got to see all this great stuff. And then perhaps your guide took you outside the city. 
and, uh, and, 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 and it happened, uh, and, and there was a river outside the town. And as you're walking by, you see a few people sitting or standing underneath a tree by the river. And uh, it happens to be a Saturday, which to you is nothing, but, you know, it's a Jewish Sabbath day as well. And you see several women and a few men gathered under a tree beside the river. Chances are you would not even have noticed or paid attention to this. But let's assume that you happened to see that. There's a tree over there. There's a river over there. You're walking past while uh, your guide is telling you about all the other stuff to pay attention to. You might not have noticed. It would have seemed like a small picnic, perhaps. But if you had passed that and missed that little meeting underneath that tree, beside that river, you would have missed one of the most pivotal events in all European history. Because under that tree, beside that river, was a gathering of a few women who lived in that area and a few guys, one of whom's name was, was Paul, another whose name was Silas, another was Timothy, another was Luke, and they were telling these women about Jesus, the true king of the whole earth. And out of that little meeting, a group, a fellowship of believers occurred. You see, for long after uh, uh, Alexander's Greek Empire and, and Caesar's Roman Empire had fallen to the, uh, the sh dishevelment of history, the roots of this little gathering of men and the, uh, of women and, and the men who had come to tell them a story would utterly change the world. For these men were none other, as I said, than Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy. And these women were not named except for one whose name was Lydia and a few others. This simple gathering became the very first European church. It became the very first church in Europe. Long before there was a church in Rome or anywhere in those places, the seeds of that European, that, that, that continental move across Europe, which utterly shaped the Western landscape, was born that day by a tree, by a river, outside the town of Philippi with a few women and a few guys who had a story to tell, and that story outlasted Caesar. That story is part of your story this day. And so as we sit together underneath a tree, which is how our church began, wishing there was a river running by... <laughs> We may feel as though the big stories are the things that you see on the news. In fact, we may pay a lot of attention to those stories, uh, ranting and raving about what we like or dislike about those stories, and not realize that when you gather here in this place at 9 o'clock on any Sunday morning, you come to participate in the only story which will outlast all those stories. The story which makes all those other stories pale in comparisons to, the, to its significance. This is why we gather each week. Not just to get a nugget of, of, of information to help me improve my life, though I hope you get some of that. We come into this place to be reminded of this great story. The same story which the Apostle Paul had preached to those people there beside that river. This was the time the gospel placed, the gospel first placed its feet on the European continent, and the world has never been the same since. So do not despise small beginnings. Do not despise simple gatherings. Do not despise the young teenage kid 
who doesn't know a lot about life, but takes time to think about the Scriptures. Do not despise the time you spend in serving your family, in being a good employee, in simply telling the story of what Jesus has come to mean to you. Do not despise the suffering you go through, the hardships you endure, even the questions and doubts that you have, because in the midst of all that, God is writing a drama of which you are allowed to be a part. Aren't you glad to know that your little life can be tied up in the midst of that great big story? And whether your life ends up being 99 years like Susan's mother's life, or whether it lasts significantly less than that. Every life matters, or every life doesn't matter. It all depends on whether or not there is a God who makes life really happen, right? Yeah. Our lives matter because there is a God who made this world, who's invested this world, who loves this world, who has allowed this world the freedom to break itself apart, but will not let it ultimately meet its demise because it came to rescue this world through the person of Jesus, whose obscure life and death and ultimate resurrection changed the world. And the story about that spread all the way across towards the West into Europe ultimately until ultimately when Rome fell underneath of its own moral decay, the church of Jesus Christ kept what was good about that culture and packaged it up in the midst of the gospel story of Jesus and so also in Constantinople and Byzantium as the empire fell apart, there were these followers of Jesus who began to uh, promote his cause in the world and the world has never been the same. Yes, this is the letter that Paul wrote to that church that started by the riverside. And you can read about the starting of that church in the 16th chapter of Acts. And in fact, all of what I told you about it is essentially true. It says that in Acts chapter 16, verse 11, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city, excuse me, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who'd come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This simple little story was happening while our fictitious tourist and his guide were walking around the city. See, they had ended up on that town, and they, as they were typically would do, they would go to a uh, Jewish synagogue. 
But there were not enough Jews apparently living in the city of Philippi for there to have been a synagogue. Need to be a certain number of families. So they assumed that there might have been a place of prayer beside the river, and in fact, there was. And this would have been a riverside prayer meeting, which may or may not have had any Jews present. Perhaps none. Perhaps a few. But as it was in that case, in that day, as the Jewish people had been spread across the landscape of the Mediterranean and, and Africa and in Egypt and all around, they began to hold little meetings together, remembering the God who had called them. And often there were people who had come to be a part of their gatherings who themselves were not Jews. They were called God-fearers. This was probably Lydia's story and the number of those who were there. So these people had come together, and the Apostle Paul, and there might have been some women there, some men there as well, but none are mentioned, just the women, right? And Paul and his companions. And they, uh, they had begun to tell the story about Jesus. And it says the Lord opened her heart to the message. Opened her heart to the message. It says about her that she was from somewhere else. She was herself an immigrant. She was from Thyatira. And it says about her that she was a dealer in purple, a seller of purple. That doesn't maybe mean something to you, much to you and to me, but what it meant to them is this was a wealthy businesswoman. Purple was, was a very expensive dye to put into garments. You didn't wear purple unless you had money, you see. That's why the royal color was often purple. If you could sell purple, it's like being a, uh, having a shop of one of the high-end clothing districts, right? She, was, she owned one of those businesses. That's who she was. She was a wealthy businesswoman, and she responded in faith to the gospel, and she was baptized there by the river that day, and she became a follower of God. We don't know anything more about her, except that we do know that the first European convert was a businesswoman. Like to hear that, Cheryl? Yeah. The first European convert was a business woman. She wasn't the only one. They don't want well, that they lived there. They began to probably meet at her house, um, and uh, uh, they were going back and forth to the place of prayer, apparently. And there was a little slave girl. It says in the next section of that text, in chapter 16, there was a little slave girl who had a spirit of divination and was able to make predictive statements about the future. She was owned. She was probably uh, had a mental illness of some sort and she, or uh, possessed by a demon or whatever. And she could say honest and truthful things about the future. And so she had people who owned her who made a lot of money off of her. All right? So they're doing, and so the apostle Paul is crying out. And, uh, um, and, it, and, and it says in the 17th verse, she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most most high God who proclaimed you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. The apostle Paul was getting kind of annoyed. And uh, so he cast the demon out. He saw that she was enslaved by powers. We don't know exactly what that all means, but we know that she was under the influence of powers not her own. The Apostle Paul gave a message to her, set her free, and you can't help but believe that this woman, at the very opposite social extreme from Lydia, the seller of purple, this woman became part of that church, certainly. So if they met by Lydia's house or in the place of prayer, there in this gathering would have been this slave woman who now was of no financial use to her owners, and so they raised a stink about it. And the consequence of that was that ultimately the apostle Paul, well, listen to what they said. 
when their owners, verse 19, chapter 16, saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans. Remember, they had Roman citizenship in that town, okay, to practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them, the magistrates, etc. And they inflicted many blows upon them. They threw them into prison, telling the jailer to keep them safely. And they put them in the inside prison under the stocks. So now here's the apostle Paul. He's preached on the riverside. Lydia and maybe some others have begun to follow Jesus. This little girl began to follow Jesus. He's just minding his own business, and he finds himself in the middle of a riot. He gets beat up, and he with his companion, his Silas, get thrown into the dungeon, into the inner dungeon at the very center of that city. And the jailer said, is told, take care of them. Watch those people. And uh, so they're there, and guess what Paul and Silas do? Some of you already know this. They decide, you know, let's have a little song service. <laughs> and it says later in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I think they were thinking they're crazy. What is the matter with these people? They're singing songs. Why? Because as we discovered last week, for the Apostle Paul, the big question was not how can I have a good life? How can I have a safe life, a comfortable life? How can I get my prayers answered? Their question was how can I honor Christ? Some of you remember that from last week? How can I honor Christ? Well, how could they honor in Christ but being in prison? They decided, well, let's sing some praises to Christ. They're singing to Christ. They're singing about God's blessing in their lives. They're probably telling the Jesus story. That's what they did. And people are listening to that, probably thinking a little bit crazy. When suddenly there's a great earthquake that happens, and the whole prison is shaken apart. Shaken apart. Their, their bonds fall off of them, and everybody is set free. And at that point, I would imagine these other prisoners didn't think they were quite so crazy as they thought it before. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the boundaries, the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke, and that day the jailer would have slept there on the grounds in a safe spot with his family. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors was open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. You know, he was responsible for their lives. He was going to take his own life. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. We are all here. No one had left. I would imagine when Paul said, nobody's going anywhere, they all thought, well, <laughs> okay, I'll listen to you, right? So he goes and he says, that, and, then the, it, uh, and then it says, the jailer called for lights. So someone went to the light switch and turned it on. No. They lit the torches, right? Called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> he says, whatever you've got is something I need because my jail couldn't hold you. Whoever you're worshiping was able to cast you out of that jail, and even though you could have gone and let my life die, you stayed. I want what it is you have. What do I need to do to get it? And the apostle Paul said to them, and they said, it says, believe in the Lord Jesus. In other words, believe in King Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word to the Lord to him and to all who were in his household, and he took them 
that same hour of the night and washed their wounds and was baptized at once. He and all his family brought them into his house, set food before them, and rejoiced along with his whole household that he had believed in God. Now we have three members of this Philippian church. We have a wealthy seller of purple, businesswoman. We have, at the other social extreme, we have a you know, uh, young girl who's had lots of health problems, who's a slave. And we have a jailer and his family. And this, these are the only people we know of who are part of that church. So when you read the book of Philippians, remember those three people. Remember this disparate community of people who you would never have put together. People who were brought together because of the story of Jesus. And let me just finish this little survey of what happened in Philippi. It says in verse 35, now the apostle Paul, remember he's had a meal, he's taken care of, but he's still basically under the capture of the prison. So the magistrates, it says, uh, sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to you to let you go. Therefore, go in peace. So the jailer says, they said you can go. <laughs> Paul had a lot of gumption, and he said, now wait a minute. Well, he didn't say, now wait a minute. I don't know what he said exactly but is reported as having said this, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? Let them come themselves and take us out. <laughs> the police reported this to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. They had broken the law by doing what they had done. They were afraid. And so, verse 39, they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. That's the story of the founding of the church to which Paul wrote this letter. It's the story of that church in Philippi. Is it any wonder that when he writes to them, he says, I thank my God whenever I remember you. Always in every prayer of mine, making my, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Many people think this Philippian church was Paul's favorite church. I tend to think so, too. He knew that God, who had begun a work in them, would continue to perform it. I didn't have time to tell you, but Paul never meant to go to Philippi. He never intended to start a church there. He was planning to go somewhere else altogether. And they had what are probably weeks or days of uncertainty about what to do next. They tried to follow the Lord in one place, the next, and everywhere it seemed like, no, we can't go here. Suddenly he has a vision in the night from a man 
in Macedonia saying, come and help us. So they decided they would go across the ocean and go to Philippi and see what God had called them to do. And while they were there, this church got started. So he knew God had begun that work because he hadn't. God had begun that work. And he knew that God was continuing to doing the work and that God would continue to do that work. Never underestimate the work that God is doing in and through you. Because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, I feel a little wistful and a little embarrassed when I look at some handwriting from a 16-year-old self, thinking at that point I was thinking I was probably going to be going into the ministry and had no idea when I said, you know, God will continue the work that he has begun in me. And here I am now, 42 years ago, telling you the same story. He who began a good work in us will continue to perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. Get into that story. That's the story that will never let you down. It's a story which was purchased with the very body and blood of Jesus Christ, who loved you enough to take on your own human flesh, and then ultimately, though he was sinless, die under the weight of our sin, under its penalty, take that judgment of death, so he could offer to us new life and make us new creation in Christ Jesus. Whether we are wealthy like Lydia, or whether we're very poor like that slave girl, or whether we're somewhere in the middle like that Philippian jailer, all of us need to respond in faith to that story. That's the work he does in us. And he won't give up on you because he's invested and has given his very life for you. Let's have prayer while we close. Lord Jesus, hard to us to fathom, hard for us to fathom how it is that you can see the beginning from the end and how it is that you can, uh, uh, you know, be writing this story in the midst of all the other stories that seem to occupy our life and our attention. Forgive us for those times when we get caught up in the stories which don't matter. Allow us to give our hearts fully to the story which does matter. Help us with the Apostle Paul and his companions. Seek to simply honor you no matter what. Thank you for the way you changed the life of Lydia and that slave girl and that jailer, and how that you therefore changed the course of Philippi and the whole European continent, and by extension, the whole world. Help us to remember that same story as a story that can change our lives. No matter what our past, no matter who we are, help us to come to you embrace that love. Thank you for this little book and for its message. Help us as we explore it together be able to learn great things to help us be people of joy no matter what. I ask this in Jesus. Amen.